Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Well, welcome once again to my study at home and thank you for welcoming me into your home. And I really have appreciated the times we've spent together over these few occasions that I've been able to bring God's word to you. And I want to thank you for your patience with me as I've unpacked some deep thoughts and feelings and prophetic perceptions, and as I have sought to help us on a journey from what was into what is yet to come. Now, together, through these teachings, we've been on a journey as we have considered what a liminal space is and, and how we live in a liminal space. We've learned about what it is to step into the future, to have one foot firmly in our foundations as we reach forward with vision and mission. But also, last time we were together, we looked at throwing off the old and on with the new. Get rid of all that hinders us, all that entangles us, so that we might run the race that God has set for us with freedom, because it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so today, I'd like us in this series of transition to consider back to the future, for us to go back to enable us to go into the future and to go back to look at the origins of our faith so that we can have that firm foundation without all the peripheral irrelevances of Christianity. So it's looking at Jesus before Christianity so that we can get back to move on into the future, because I believe this is what God is calling us to in these days. Now, I want us to think about revival for a moment. One of the terms which has been repeatedly used for a generation or more now has been this term of revival, and it's been a passion of mine since I first got saved. But of course, revival means different things to different people. For many, it means a surge of the Holy Spirit, outpouring into the lives of people, souls being saved, lives being changed, miracles abounding, mission thrust into dark places, a sudden move of God motivating the church into action. Well, who would not want to be part of that? But for me, the problem is this. We've been waiting for God to do something. We've been waiting for a divine initiative. God's people prayed, and hoped and longed and remembered what he has done before them, and many of us are focused on historical outpourings to gain inspiration and desire that God would do it again. As Habakkuk said, O oh Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O oh Lord, renew them in our day, and in our time make them known. In wrath, remember mercy." So we're in good company with the prophet. Often these revival phenomena, they come and they go. They leave a legacy, more often than not, mostly for three generations. And that's quite biblical, really, because we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And then we see King David and Solomon continued with the throne and the kingdom. But then his sons, Jeroboam and Rehoboam, managed to split the the kingdom, and it all started going a bit belly up after that. Normally, revivals happen in specific places with a certain people at a strategic time. More often than not, a revivalist becomes a catalyst to it all. Often people travel to the location of revival 
in the hope to catch what is going on there and take it back from whence they came, in the hope that they might experience in their home location the place of revival. Often revivals have been preceded by prayer, people calling upon God to do something in their time, but not always. Sometimes it's just a divine initiative. These moves of God often attract the spiritually hungry, the, the, the passionate, but also the weird and the dissatisfied and the damaged, all wanting a supernatural encounter of some kind, but also the spiritually sensitive that tune in to what God is saying and doing and getting close to it. I wonder if today we're on the edge of a new era, a revival, but not as we have known it historically, like it's never happened before. I wonder if this next move of God will have a different emphasis, not on what we've experienced most recently, on uh, sensational alone, uh, not that as the main focus or relishing in manifestation uh, or an experience, because you have to understand that much of this is learned behaviour after a while. Now, don't misunderstand me. I've experienced an absolute blasting of the Holy Spirit. But I want the genuine. I want the authentic. I don't want to manufacture something soulish, something immature, some silly religious game. I'm really looking, really, for the move of God that will bring about a transformative power that will change lives transforming us into true sons of the Father. A real revival, if we understand the term, means to bring back that which is dead to life. So when we ask for revival, we're basically saying we're dead and we need to come alive again. And I believe that that is true. But revival can also mean a returning to the original way of relating to God, an original way of expressing our faith through the way we live our lives. I'm reminded of the revival under King Hezekiah, and you can read that revival in 2 Chronicles chapter 29 through 31. Now we need to understand that Hezekiah was a young 25-year-old man, and his father, King Ahaz, was a complete numpty. He was the worst king the nation had ever known. He was evil, he was corrupt, and he was a bad person. Now, even in all that darkness, Hezekiah grew up as a light. And when his time came to go onto the throne, he did some things that brought about a magnificent move of God. The first thing he did was to open up the doors of the temple because the temple doors had been closed. And when he had opened up the doors of the temple and let light come in once again, he had the people go in and cleanse the temple of every defiled object, everything that had been dumped in there, every idol, everything that shouldn't be in the house of the Lord. He got rid of it. There was a purging, a cleansing. And then he called the people together. And he called the people together and they began to come back to the Levitical order of things of making the sacrifices that were acceptable unto the Lord. But they only needed to make a few sacrifices to work atonement and cleanse them of their sin. 
but they brought thousands upon thousands of different types of sacrifices to God. So effectively, they were saying, we're not only sorry, we're dreadfully sorry for turning away from you, ignoring you and going our own way. We recognize that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. They returned to God, but it wasn't just a moment of returning to God. It was a turning point. This moment was a turning point for them where they returned back to doing things the way God had ordained things should be done, the way life should be lived for those people that represent him and reflect him to the world. So I believe God is drawing us back to him, drawing us back to the living ways of God to re-establish divine order in our lives. You see, when Jesus came on the world scene, Mark tells us and Matthew tells us that his opening statement was this. Repent. Believe the good news for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent. Change your mind. Stop thinking the way you've always thought. Stop the worldview that you've always had. Repent of that and believe the good news for this is the key for the kingdom of heaven to come into your experience. Change your mind. Stop thinking the way you have done. Start believing the good news. The kingdom of heaven is near. It's here. It's at hand. It's accessible. It's available. That has to be revival. So back to the future for me means looking back to see how to be a true follower of Jesus. Looking back at Jesus, we have, first of all, the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And these were accounts written um, of the life of Jesus himself. And then in the Bible, we have the writings of really giant apostles, specific followers of Jesus, people like Peter and John and James, and later the Apostle Paul. And, and these were first-hand accounts of their experience of Jesus and their way of shaping and trying to bring order into the fast-developing Christian community at that time. And then we have the second generation of leaders, and they're known as the Apostolic Fathers. There was people, oh, there was three main ones, uh, Ignatius of Antioch and Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. He was an actual disciple of John himself and Clement of Rome. Now, these people were taught by those who were the original disciples of Jesus. So we're now coming to the third generation. The post-apostolic era, unfortunately, was marked with a growing impact of Greek philosophy and religious legalism, becoming less charismatic and more formal and more organisational. They lost the centrality of the sonship and the life of the spirit, which was replaced with rules and regulations. Of course, because humanity is involved, there was much politics power struggles, ambition, going off at tangents, focus on hierarchy and structure, arguing on theology, the development of religious tradition, and so on. So first generation, second generation, third generation, it starts going belly up. It's a miracle to me when I've looked at church history. It's a miracle for me 
how God through the church has preserved the gospel and promoted the gospel around the world. It seems God's done it despite of us. So what if we returned to following Jesus? Jesus before Christianity, Jesus before the Christian religion and its many factions and diverse motives and control and its power and its nonsense at times. When we read the scriptures, we often use them as a legal treaty or a tool to develop our own doctrine. God sent the scriptures. The scripture itself says that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for correction and instruction in righteousness. Maybe we should consider returning to the sender of the scriptures so that it's his word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So I personally am embarking on a journey and I'm inviting anyone who wants to join me on this journey to return to the sender of the word of God back so we can go into the future, rediscovering Jesus the Christ and returning to becoming a true follower of the person Jesus the Christ. So where am I going to begin on this journey? Well, I, I, want, to, I want to start in the Gospel of John, and there's a reason for that. I think John um, was the closest person to Jesus. He was known as the Beloved. He was known to Jesus very personally. He, he would have absorbed not only the teachings of Jesus and observed the way he did life, but he would have also absorbed his values, been with him through his highs and his lows, and gained insight into the man Jesus and became very aware of the divine light within him, knowing the Father as Jesus did and seeing firsthand how Jesus related to the Father and how Jesus responded to the Father and how he operated and lived the way of life that he did. So when we look at the Gospel of John, say chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7, Jesus answered, and he said these words, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, I would like to unpack this more fully, perhaps over time I may get the opportunity, but for today, I just want to share with you an overview of what's in my mind in this regard, because I think it may help you on your journey into the future. Understanding what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So effectively, Jesus is saying, I am the way of salvation, but I'm also the way to do life. When you look at me and look at my lifestyle, that's the lifestyle that you should be uh, copying, emulating. And Jesus, the way he related to Sabbath, the way he related to simplicity, the way he related to the community of God's people, the way he related in fellowship to his disciples, the way he related to his family, the dynamics of his life are worth looking at. The way to pray, the way to enter into communion with God, the Jesus way. The prayers of Jesus himself. What did Jesus pray? Why did he pray his intercessory prayer for us? What does that mean? How does that work its way out in our life? 
We can look at the way Jesus loved and we can look at the way Jesus ministered as well. Jesus is the way. And I believe we as followers of Christ need to copy him, follow him. Then Jesus said, I am the truth. Know the truth and you will be set free. That's what the Bible says. But are you free? Are we free? If we're not free, perhaps we don't really know the truth because the truth will set us free. So we need to look at the teachings of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. He often said things that as they are, and they're not always easy to get your head around. First of all, he said things like, the poor you will always have with you. And those who have will get more, and those that don't have, even what they do have, will be taken from them. What does he mean there? We need to know what Jesus actually said, what he actually taught, what was his emphasis, what was he revealing, what was he impacting us with? He said, repent, change your mind unbelief, lies, deception, falsehood, and start believing the good news, the truth that the kingdom of heaven is actually here. And we need to believe God's truth. God's truth. We need to have faith in God's truth. We need to have assurance and conviction that brings about change and transformation in our lives. And finally, Jesus said, I am the life. I am the way of salvation. I am the whole sole source of salvation for humanity, the life, the eternal life that he offers us, the abundant life that we have been offered, and life in the spirit. What does that look like? So I'm traveling on this journey of revival. Revival by returning back to the, so we can go into the future. I'm coming back to the origins of our faith, the person, Jesus Christ, and taking time to look at what he had to say to us today, how we live the way, how we live the life, and how we live out the truth, because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. So that's the journey I'm on, back to the future, looking back at Jesus, so we're better equipped to go into the future together. Let's pray together, shall we? Father God, as we consider this season of transition that we all find ourselves in, I pray that you would help us to embrace the liminal space we find ourselves in, to be able to stop, to look and to listen. Father God, that we might learn how to dig deep into the foundations of our life to give us the stability so that we can launch out into vision and into mission. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we might throw off the old so that we can put on the new and we can run with freedom with, without hindrance. And I pray, Father, above all these things that we might come back to know you even as we're known in Christ Jesus. I pray that we might be like him, that we might show the way, we might reveal the truth, and we might demonstrate the life because Christ is in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. God richly bless you and all that pertains to you.